Amen. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm thankful that I'm who God says that I am and not who anyone or anything says I am. I think the reality is we can sometimes be even so hard on ourselves and we start to, you know, think these negative thoughts and, you know, or things aren't really going right in our lives or we're listening to all these voices saying, well, you're this or you're not good enough, you're not worthy. But the Bible tells us, you know, every single one of God's promises are for us. And so when we start to think anything contrary, we just go back to the reality that we are who God says that we are. And he's the one that made us, so he knows us better than even we know ourselves. And, and so let's just worship from that place this morning. Let's just say, you know what, God, I'm, I'm just thankful. I'm thankful for who you say I am. And God, I just want to worship you with my life. I don't want to withhold anything from you. I want to worship you with my whole heart and my whole life. And I give you that this morning. So let's just praise God from that place. Let's just give him honor and praise as we continue to worship.
Father, we, none of us, deserve your grace, but God, you died while we were still sinners, Lord. That's how much you loved us, and you still love us, Father. So I just thank you today, God, for your presence here. I thank you, Father, for every person that's gathered here in this place and those who are worshiping online this morning. I pray, dear God, that your Holy Spirit would just open our hearts and 
Lord, that you would help us just to receive all that you have for us today. God, I just believe today that you're going to do something in our lives, Father, that, uh, that we each need. And so, God, I pray for, God, for your peace and comfort. I pray for encouragement for those who may be discouraged. I pray for peace for those who may be in turmoil. God, I just pray for uh, your healing for those who need healing. And, God, we are just so thankful today that we have a that we serve and worship a God who loves us, knows all about us. God has a number of our hair numbered on our top of our, on our head, Lord. And, and so, God, we're thankful for that today. I'm thankful to God for Pastor Joe today. I pray your anointing on him as he brings the message today. I pray your anointing and your power would be upon him. And, God, that our lives would be changed ever, Lord, uh, forever, Lord, because you're here and, God, we're going to hear from you. So thank you today, Lord, and we just give you all the praise and all the glory, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to church this morning. You guys having a good weekend so far? Well, hey, I don't know about you guys, but when I actually do post to social media, it's usually all about my family. And so I thought this morning, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, why don't you post a picture or a tweet or a post saying, you know what, I'm worshiping here at Salem Fields Community Church with my extended family here this morning. Amen? Amen? And so go ahead and do that. And you might think that's just so insignificant, but we've heard so many stories of people that have done that and their friends have seen that and say, you know what, maybe I need to check that place out. And they did, and they came to know Jesus through it. So I just want to encourage you to do that this morning. If you're a guest with us, welcome to Salem Fields. We are so glad that you are here. Uh, we couldn't be more excited to get to know you. And one of the ways that we can get to know you is uh, if you stop at that table, there's uh, in the lobby, it says first time guests on the banner stop here. And we got a gift there for you. And we also just want to be able to, somebody's going to be there to answer any questions that you might have. And so we want to encourage you to do that after the service. And then also, hopefully you got a program as you came in. And within there is a connection card. If you could just fill that out and drop it in the buckets uh, during this next song, that's just a way that we can reach out to you, uh, say welcome to the church, and another way that we can answer any questions that you might have. So I just want to encourage you to do that. But also, that uh, connection card is a great tool if you aren't a first-time guest uh, to get more information about small groups, uh, ministries that you can volunteer with, uh, prayer requests. Uh, you know, it's just such a great resource. So you can also fill that out and drop that in the buckets as they come by during this next song. And so... Uh, we're going to be taking our tithes and offerings during this next song. And again, this is just another way that we worship God here at Salem Fields Community Church. Uh, God has given us everything, and this is just a way that we can honor him by giving the first of what he's already given to us. And so if you're a guest with us, do not feel obligated to give. Uh, but if you'd like to, there are many ways that you can. Cash your check as those buckets come by. Go out to one of the giving kiosks. You can give through debit or credit out there online. Just click that little green button in the top right-hand corner. Or as always, you can give safely and securely through the Sandal Fields Community Church app. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to be having our membership class at 1 p.m. Uh, this is really a class that uh, gives you the rundown of the DNA of Salem Fields Community Church, from what we believe uh, to our story uh, to our vision and really our core values. And so we just want to encourage you, come and be a part of that. If you haven't, at the very end of the class is the opportunity uh, to become a member. Uh, it is not a requirement from taking the class, but we do have that opportunity at the end. And so we really want to encourage you, come be a part of that at 1 p.m. next Sunday. And if you do become a member, there are certain benefits uh, that you get by being a member, and that's being able to uh, vote in our board elections. And we actually have a board election that's coming up 
at the end of March. It is March 22nd and 23rd. Uh, this is voting people to be a part of our board that really helps carry out the vision of Salem Fields Community Church. It really makes decisions and uh, thinks big picture. And so uh, just wanted to bring that to your attention. You can begin praying about that and who God would have you vote for. And like I said, if you want to be able to be a part of that vote, uh, come to the membership class next Sunday. Uh, and become a member if you haven't already. And then lastly, we begin a new series next weekend. And this series is called Encounters. Uh, and we believe that one can change everything. And so we're going to really look at the Bible and see uh, these encounters that people had with Jesus that, that one moment transformed their entire life. And so this is a great series for you to bring a friend to as we begin to uh, really set our minds and hearts uh, on the Easter season. And so I really just want to encourage you, uh, be a part of that and bring somebody with you starting next week. Well, we're so glad that you guys are here this morning. Uh, Pastor Joe has a great message for us. And so we're going to continue to worship with our tithes and offerings in this song. So as those buckets pass by, why don't you stand with us as we continue to worship.
aisle, please. Mm hmm Some lying, some stealing, and some acts of kindness here and there. I tried to live a good life. Well, let's see how good. This way. Next. My mom goes to church. I was baptized as a baby? Take American Express, right? Next. File, please. Whoa. Somebody's been busy. Well, let's get this over with. Sorry, um, I didn't know he was with you. Okay, step on the scale. Not you. Him. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see all these beautiful and smiling faces out here, and Bobby. You know, the best piece of advice I got the first time I got to give a sermon was from my uh, mentor, Kelly, who said, look, don't cram every cool thing you've ever learned into one sermon. And it turned out to be the best advice I ever got. But here's number two, so you get all the leftovers today. And help us if I ever get to do a third one, because I've got nothing left. So I heard a story once about Albert Einstein on an airplane, and he strikes up a conversation with the guy next to him. He says, look, it's going to be a really long flight. Let's play a game. I'm going to ask you a question. If you can't answer it, give me five bucks. And you ask me a question, and if I can't answer it, I'll give you 500. The guy's like, man, I've got nothing, you know, way more to win than to lose here, so sure, why not? So Einstein goes first. He says, how far is the moon from the earth? Guy has no idea, you know, it's pre-Google days, so he doesn't know how far the moon is from the earth. So he gives Einstein five bucks. The guy's turn, he says, all right, what goes up a hill with three legs comes back down with four? Einstein's thinking, thinking, man, racking his brain. He says, I don't know, hands the guy 500. Einstein's turn again, he's a little flustered this time. He's like, all right, wait, before I go, I just have to know, what does go up a hill with three legs and come back down with four? Guy just beats me and hands him five bucks. <laughs> so sometimes even the smartest can be outsmarted. But today I want to talk to you about redemption. What does it mean? What does it look like? What are we to do with it? I know in the original Greek, the word was... <laughs> I'm just kidding, I don't know any Greek. <laughs> See, sometimes we get caught up in our lofty church lingo, but I don't know if we really realize what it means. We love to shout that we're redeemed, we wear it as a badge of honor. But what does it really mean? What does it mean for us, and what are the expectations that come along with it? Today, our key verse is found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And to keep with recent tradition, let's stand and read the word of God together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Thank you. You can be seated. I've got a lot of scripture this morning. We wouldn't need chairs if we were going to do that every time, so we're not going to stand every time. But now this may be a little bit out of context from what the author of Hebrews went, but let's look at the great cloud of witnesses that we just read about. Look at the great cloud of witnesses we have in this building alone. How many great testimonies could we come up with just in this building? Now, don't worry if you don't think yours matters. It doesn't say a cloud of great witnesses. Is a great cloud of witness. No matter how insignificant you think your testimony is, I promise you it matters. The book of Revelation says that the beast was defeated by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. The second thing in these verses that stood out to me was the phrase, for the joy set before him. Are we reading the same story here? How impactful is that, the joy set before him? Jesus knew what was at stake by taking the cross in the manner in which he did. And he considered it the joy set before him. You were worth that much. We were worth that much. See, sometimes the things of God just don't make sense, and I want to try to illustrate that in a little different way today. We're going to do some math, so if the ushers could lock the doors and make sure nobody gets out. Just kidding, I'll do the math. I'm not doing that weird math where you add letters. Don't care about your X and why you can't find it. So through a series of equations... Any two-digit number can be turned back into the number nine. So somebody holler out a two-digit number for me. 27? That's an easy one. 27. Two plus seven equals nine. Somebody said 21. Did I hear 21? So we'll go 21. Two plus one equals three. 21 minus three, 18. One plus eight equals nine. Somebody give me another one. 44. 44. 4 plus 4 equals 8. 44 minus 8, 36. 3 plus 6 equals 9. There's two reactions I get every time I tell somebody this. First is, that's not right. It doesn't work with every number. <laughs> or you can do that with any single digit number. In a world of ever-changing absolutes, let me tell you one thing about this statement that I made before I showed you. It's absolutely true. It works with every number from 10 to 99, and you cannot do it with any of the other single-digit numbers. Not my truth. Not my opinion. It's just true. Some of you are either slowly getting it, already got it, or don't ever care to get it. What's great about that, none of those scenarios, no matter where you are, change the truth of this working. Let me give you some great news. Truth doesn't depend on our ability to understand it. You can spend the rest of today or even your life trying to figure out these problems, but it doesn't change the truth of it. So I've seen things before, and I'm, I, I'm intrigued with numbers, so I looked up the number nine and the meaning of the nine in the Bible. Number nine actually stands for divine completeness. It's pretty neat. I mean, it's, I found it on the Internet, so it's got to be true. But... <laughs> I, I cross-checked it with a couple different other things, but the number nine is pretty powerful. Divine <coughs> completeness. Does anybody remember how many fruits of the Spirit there are? Nine. How many months does a woman carry a baby? Nine. Nine. 
Snow White had how many dwarfs? Seven, not nine. Somebody said nine. See, we see examples all through the Bible that just don't seem to make any sense. The math just doesn't work. Many times that the Christian life doesn't make sense. I actually found a couple of funny pictures that perfectly describe trying to live for Jesus sometimes. Here's my favorite. Not that wheel, Jesus. <laughs> and then this one. Anybody experienced that in their life? Favorite saying is, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plan. See, in the Bible, we have Moses, who was a murderer, had some sort of affliction that he felt kept him from speaking well. Some people think it was a stutter, something similar. Later, we've seen King David, a man after God's own heart, who goes up on the rooftop and lusts after Bathsheba. Now, see, I'm a plumber, so a word like that sticks out to me, Bathsheba. Part of me wonders, was her name really Sheba? But because she was in the bath, it translated to, I personally think she was one modern plumbing advancement away from being named Shower Sheba. <laughs> but see, in all seriousness, we see King David redeemed and used by God. Countless others throughout the Bible who are used by God when it didn't make much sense. The New Testament, we have Paul, who was essentially kicked off of his horse, encountered Jesus, and spent the rest of his life preaching the gospel. By the way, Paul was also a murderer. Now, I'm certainly not suggesting that you go out and murder somebody so that you can be redeemed and used by God. But we really view murderers as the lowest of the low. And man, God can take people like that and use them for great things. There's a claim that Jesus makes in the Bible, and I want to pay attention to the way these three statements tie together, three claims. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The truth shall set you free, and who the Son sets free is free indeed. There's many that just don't make sense throughout Scripture. Let's see if we can find an example in my video here. So I'm reading over in Romans chapter 12. Be good to your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Do not return evil for evil. The river rats tend to be far better thieves than your just local rednecks. You be good to them and don't return evil for evil. I was fishing for a living. It's my livelihood. I'm working my tail off. They're hungry, feed them. These river rats would, would steal my fish. I'd caught several of them before then. Usually I'd just come up, roar out there, come up with my shotgun and say, the next person who moves dies. They're stealing my fish here, Lord. They're hungry, feed it. And you want me to do what? Do not return evil for evil. Well, I have to see if that will work, but it makes no earthly sense, that's for sure. So one day I heard a motor slow down. These guys pull over to my, to my float and I'm watching them through the bushes. So I said, I'm gonna be good to them, but I'm carrying my gun just in case. They're not good to me. And I'm gonna do what the Lord said. I'm gonna be good to them. So I roar up on them, and they're getting my net almost up in their boat, and they look up, and they see this guy coming. They be me, wide open. I said, what were you boys doing with that net? They said, oh, is that what that was? I said, yeah, that'd be a hook net. It belongs to me. I said, here's the good news. I'm going to raise the net, and whatever's in there, I'm going to give them to you. And when I said that, they looked at each other, and they said, they left me looking back 
And all of a sudden, up and down the river, they quit stealing my fish. I just gave them what they were trying to steal. I took that to mean God was right all along. God was right all along. In other words, math worked out. May not have made sense to him along the way. Now see, before I stood up here and made this claim, I better be pretty sure of it, huh? Somebody hollers out a number that I can't turn back into the number nine, it all falls apart. When the world comes at you with math, it just doesn't seem to make sense. Stand on the promise that it all works out. See, we see a lot of this truth throughout the Bible when Jesus interacts with others. Sometimes he tells parables, which can be hard to understand. Sometimes they're documented actual accounts. One of these in a personal interaction is a story we call the rich young ruler. It's documented in three of the four Gospels, but today we're going to read from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. I love the illustration Mark gives us here. This guy runs up in Jesus's path and drops to his knees. I imagine him screaming because why would you go through that much of a production to just be like, hey, excuse me, if you've got a second, if you wouldn't mind. Jesus calls him out immediately though. I think Jesus senses this guy's bragging a little or at least he's getting ready to. Jesus rattles off the commandments, and what's the first thing the young ruler does? Bragging starts. Again, the way I see it in my head, he's got his chest all puffed out. Jesus rattles everything off, and he says, yep, you got it, boss. That's me. Done them all, kept them all, nailed it. At this point, the guy's waiting for the red carpet to roll out in front of him. Jesus is going to fall at his feet and thank him for being just such a faithful servant. Look at verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Can you see that scene? I imagine Jesus with a little half smile, head tilt, little side hug. Man, you're cute. <laughs> Think you've got it all figured out, don't you? He says the last thing this kid wanted to hear. Go sell all your stuff. Give it to the poor. The Bible says at that time the man's face fell and he went away sad. But I want us to catch two very important things here. Number one, there's absolutely zero record of Jesus chasing after that man after he walked away sad. Sometimes Jesus is going to tell you what you don't want to hear and leave the ball in your court. Love looks a little different sometimes than what we're used to. Don't get me wrong, Jesus comforts the afflicted, but he also afflicts the comforted. The second thing I want us to get from this text is the fact that Jesus hits on the man's wealth. We're being honest, Jesus touched on that one thing the man considered untouchable. This man hit his knees in the beginning, begging. <clears throat> Good teacher, what does it take for me to inherit eternal life? He knew what was at stake. Jesus put the two on the scales and the man went away sad. 
It's also funny, Jesus said this was the only thing the man lacked. I would propose that this one thing was maybe a main thing and the root of all his issues. I don't for a minute believe this kid only had one issue. There's an analogy I got from the book of Matt, and I'm not being disrespectful to the gospel of Matthew. I mean my friend Matt. It's like when a sink is clogged, another plumber reference, forgive me, everything backs up, and even the smallest of debris starts getting stuck in the sink, all kinds of good stuff. The sink's all messy, nasty, but until that large blockage is removed, nothing can make its way down the sink. The big stuff, the little stuff, none of it. Could you imagine how much fun that would be to stop, instead of removing the blockage, just keep bailing out the sink and wiping off the sides? It'd be frustrating pretty quick. So what's your big item? What's Jesus saying to you? Maybe you don't put stuff ahead of God, but you put other things. Maybe it's drinking. Maybe it's smoking. Maybe it's gambling. Where'd that come from? Celebrate recovery. Thursday night, 7 p.m. Hanging this clothes. <laughs> but see, maybe it's comparison, guilt, codependency, depression. Look, I know how all this works. I purposely didn't make eye contact with any of you while I said all those things. And about five people in here just went, he was looking right at me when he said that. See, whatever it is, I can promise Jesus can help. He doesn't call you out on something without empowering you to overcome it. How different would that scene with the rich young ruler look if the guy didn't walk away sad? We see a little earlier in the Gospel of Mark where a possessed boy is brought to Jesus and the father says, if you can help, please help. Jesus again kind of laughs, if. Anything's possible for one who believes, and the guy cries out, I believe, but help my unbelief. Jesus heals the boy, and that whole exchange can be a sermon in itself, but there's a stark difference between the two reactions. One is, whatever it takes, Lord, even if it hurts. The other one's, whatever it takes, except that. What's Jesus asking you to remove? One of the biggest hurdles we face sometimes is realizing our value and our worth. This is also exemplified incredibly in the story of the prodigal son. Earlier we talked about an actual exchange. This one's just a parable that Jesus tells, and it's found in the book of uh, Luke, chapter 15. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
And they began to celebrate. Again, this story could be and has been a sermon in itself. But I want to pick out a couple things that I see here. First, the fact that the father has no hesitation dividing his estate in half in a moment's notice. He's still alive. See, inheritance is something when somebody passes away and we divvy up what's left. Imagine if you still needed those resources. This guy's still alive and gives his eager son half of everything. And there's too many of us in here that white-knuckle that 10% that God asks for every week. So I know cutting a check for 50% of your net worth in a moment's notice is probably out of the question. See, God showed me something one time. I own a business, and he said, all right, Joe, we're going to take your business, and your customers get to use every resource you have. Everything you make available, available to them, they get to use. But here's the catch. They get to pay you what they want to pay you, in secret, and if they want to pay you. The other catch is they can continue to call for your services, and you can never call them out on not paying. How long do you think you stay in business? And he said, that's how your church operates. So we're going to pass the buckets around one more time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Back to the story, though. The, the son squanders all the wealth, parties it all the way, and then a famine hits. He ends up having to hire himself out on a pig farm. And at one point, is so hungry, he finds himself in the pig slop, scrounging for a meal. You know, Gay talked about in the Lean In series about that, that sincere heart, and it starts with a broken heart. You can imagine being in the pig slop, pretty good place to have that moment, that crisis moment where you realize your heart's broken. Matter of fact, we can see the whole Lean In series in the story of the prodigal son. He clears his conscience by figuring out what he's going to say. He gets washed up at the house, then he has the dance at the party. But he's in the slop, and here's where so many of us can relate if we're honest. See, Buddy told us his story about his FFA hopes and dreams with Arnold the pig. Cleaned him up, shined him up, got a couple blue ribbons, but as soon as Arnold went back to the farm, was left by himself, where did he go? Right back to the slop, got dirty again. Just like the prodigal son, he had a worth and a value problem. How many of us get stuck there? Arnold the pig went back to the slop because that's where he was comfortable. It was normal for him. He was always a pig. Always will be. Always been around other pigs, and that's just what they do. Is that your story? That all you are? Always been? Always will be? Jesus said he then came to his senses while in the slop and realized... <coughs> He said the right things, the right way he could convince his father he was worthy of being a servant in his father's house. Man, how many of us parents out here could imagine our kids feeling like they had to say something magical to unlock our ability to call them a son or daughter? It would break my heart if I thought one of my kids thought they had to fight to be considered a servant in my house, let alone a child. We get caught in these comparison traps and we confuse our own worth and value in an instant. We look around at those around us in a pig slot for our own worth. We establish a minimum standard in which to judge ourselves by. If we have any baseball fans in here, I'm sure you're familiar with the term Mendoza line. The term they use, a guy, guy named Mendoza in the 70s hit around 200 for his career. And that's kind of been the standard at which baseball players are judged. You hit over 200, you're doing all right, you're probably going to stay in the league. You hit under 200, not going to last very long, unless you play first base for the Orioles, apparently. Yeah. 
The problem is we have wicked hearts and at times we root against others to make ourselves feel better. If you don't believe me, you ever run a red light in your life? Two things that happen right after you run a red light. First thing you do is look around to see if there were any cops at the intersection. The second thing you do is look in your rearview mirror to see how many people ran the light after you. People even say things like, boy, that light was bright red when he went through it. Like there's different shades of red in a stoplight. Do we naturally feel better if someone else runs the light after us? They do it worse. Truth of the matter is 18 people could run that light after you. Doesn't make you running it any less illegal. We actually find people that we keep in our lives sometimes to be that Mendoza line. We know they're constantly running the red light after us so we keep them around to make us feel better. We judge our problems against theirs. One time my wife, um, this person that nobody knows, who's not here right now in the front row, was helping a relative clean out her closet and organize some clothes and she noticed the hoodie collection was pretty extensive. She couldn't wait to tell me about it. See, she has way more hoodies than I have and you said I have a problem. Silence probably would have been golden in that scenario, but sometimes my big mouth gets the best of me and I said, dear, I mean, person I don't know. Just because you found someone with a bigger problem doesn't mean you don't still have an issue. Your value and worth isn't found in looking around you. Who you are was decided a long time ago. There's no addiction, disease, hurt, habit, hang-up, pigsty, red light, Mendoza line, or hoodie collection that can separate you from your worth. And getting back to our story, we've read what happens next. The son tries to plead and grovel his way back, like I said. But the father wants to hear absolutely none of it. He doesn't even acknowledge the speech that the son so eloquently prepared. He's just happy the son's home. The father actually meets him. They drew near to each other. Imagine that story would look a little different if somebody was dragging their son back across the yard. You think the father would be in such a hurry to run out to meet him? See, the son's return the prime focus of the father. He doesn't ask for a story, explanation, or a reason. Doesn't ask where he's been, who he was with, how he squandered the money. None of it matters. And that's where our focus needs to be. It's not, not, not where we've been. It's not what you did last week. It's not where you were last night. We are who he says we are. We don't live by what we see. We live by what he says even when the math may not make sense. The problem has already been solved. Yes, there'll be additions, subtractions to make the math work. People will come and go out of your life, things and stuff. But one thing stays constant, and that's that a price was paid for you on Calvary's cross almost 2,000 years ago. That's the truth. Jesus took on the cross and considered it the joy set before him. He knew what he was getting on the cross. He was getting us. See, we like to say that Jesus died for our sins. No, Jesus died for us. The cost was our sin. He knew what he was getting, and he knew what it cost him. Every single one of your sins were paid for. The big ones, the little ones, the ones you think nobody knows about, yeah, he paid for that one too. And he did it willingly as the joy set before him. Revelation 3.21 says that anyone who's victorious will get to the, the right to sit with Jesus on his throne 
just as, able, just as he was able to sit with his father on his. When we find ourselves in the slot, we're having an identity crisis and we forget the finished work on the cross. We keep ourselves in bondage, yet Revelation, or I'm sorry, Galatians 5.1 says, do not be burdened by a yoke of slavery. When we wallow in the slop, that's exactly what we're doing. We're carrying a burden that's already been lifted. How senseless does that seem? Look, I'm not doubting that what happened to you in your life wasn't horrific. I'm not discounting anyone's hurt or trauma, but your response to it is your responsibility. Jesus paid for it all. And if there's one other thing I can encourage you with, it's to fall in love with the encounter, not the experience. I look at Apostle Paul when I think that his experience with Jesus the first time probably wasn't great. He was kicked off a horse, blinded, scared to death, but he encountered the Son of the living God. And it spurred him forward. We're here today because of that encounter, not because of the experience. I'm going to share one last story with you in closing. See, I listen to a lot of podcasts, YouTube videos, and stuff like that. And every once in a while, I come across a really good nugget that just speaks to me in a, in a new way. It's like the rich young ruler. I find myself getting my chest puffed out at times. Think about all the things I'm doing right. I like to brag on myself. And I don't, I hope I don't openly come across and brag on myself. But you know what? It might be read that way sometimes by certain people. This guy was telling a story about two boys fighting. And one says to the other, I don't always have to listen to you. The younger one says, yes, you do. I'm a genius. Dad hears it from the other room, and he calls him, and he says, I just hear you tell your brother you're a genius. Yeah. Son, you can't go around just telling people all the time that you're a genius. But Dad, you tell me all the time that I'm a genius. Knew he had to come up with something. So he calls his son back in, took him a couple days, calls his son back in, and he says, hey, remember that talk we had the other day about how you can't be running around telling everybody you're a genius? So I have a solution for you. The next time somebody looks at you and says, what are you, a genius? Look right at him and say, my father says I am. Are you handsome? My father says I am. That's the stuff we deal with. This can be applied to us in so many ways because it says so much more about our identity than we can ever fathom. Yeah, I hear, do you really think you're able to get up on that stage and deliver a message? Father says I am. Do you really think you're capable of overcoming these addictions? Father says I am. Do you really, this one doesn't make sense, do you really think you're forgiven? Father says I am. Do you really, really, like down in your core, do you really believe you're redeemed? Father says I am. So we're going to do something today called cardboard testimonies. You've never heard of them. These are the things I've been in my life at one time or another, sometimes all at once. And man, God's given me this great ability to recall information. I, I can watch something, I can read it. I can hear it and remember it word for word exactly. But there's times when the devil plays on that and reminds me of every single time I've hurt somebody. Every single time I've let somebody down. Every single time I didn't rise to the occasion and I've got to fight that every day with the power and the blood of Jesus. So these are the things that the world says I am. 
This is what my father says I am.